MNF Tampa. Good morning, and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show. Oh, my whole page is gone. <laughs> and this is at Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today's guest is Jordan Parker, otherwise known as JP. So we have him on here to talk about butterflies. And also, just to let y'all know, Tanya uh, Vadovic, or did I say it right? Or I, I murder it every time I ever say your name. You never do. You I never absolutely do. never do. And I've known her for, I don't know, over 10 years. So yeah. it's, it's pretty bad. It's okay. Yeah. So it's Tanya Vadovic. There you go. There, there I said it. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Annie Ellis, and we are hosting your show today. So Bill Grace is working the boards, and also uh, we have uh, Irene is taking the calls. So we're really ha uh, happy that JP is here in person, and I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about him. Uh, he was raised in Tampa, an environmentalist, amateur le lepidopterist. I wrote it in, in hyphenated, so I'd get it right. <laughs> <laughs> and nature lover. His, his goal is to help change the way people look at wildlife. He aspires to do this by creating content on multiple social media platforms in an effort to bring much needed awareness. The main focus currently is to shed light on why pollinators and native plants matter in our daily lives. I want to let y'all know that if you want to participate in this, in the Sustainable Living Show with us, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663, text us at 813-433-0885, or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org, and we will read it on the air. So welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. We're pleased that you are here. He's so charming. So uh, our theme today is embarking on your butterfly journey. So one of my, our very first uh, questions is, of course, what's your favorite butterfly? Do you have one? Um, that is a very hard question to answer. Yeah, because it's like your favorite children. It, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it just depends on which one's right in front of me. You know, that one might be my favorite butterfly at the time. Right. <laughs> so you don't have any that are, you know, I special mean, ones? I just, I just love, I mean, I love swallowtails, swallowtails. a lot. They're so gorgeous. Um, I would definitely say my top three for the native species has got to be the zebra swallowtail, the pipe vine swallowtail, and the tiger swallowtail. They are stunning. They're so mm -hmm. showy too, right? Yeah. Um, the zebra swallowtail looks diff like different, completely different than any of the native butterflies we have here. It's just so spectacular. And the male and the female look so different. Um, for the zebra, they don't. They look almost identical. Do they really? Mm -hmm. Now, what is the ones that I'm thinking of that look so different? Um, it depends which species. The, the swallowtails. <laughs> um, there's over 13 different species of swallowtails. Really? My so goodness. In, yeah, in the United States. So it just depends which one. You got to show me a picture and I can right, tell you. Right, right. And then you would ID it. Mm -hmm. You'd be the ID guy, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, if you send me a picture. <laughs> so... So the difference of the chrysalis and a cocoon, can you explain that to our listeners? Yes. So with a chrysalis, it just has a hard outer layer shell. Um, there is no 
uh, coating surrounding the pupa, whereas a cocoon is a silk casing that is surrounding a pupa. Um, basically, if you want to talk about butterflies and moths, you could just use the term pupa, mm-hmm. and that would work for either one. Well, what would you mean? To Google it? Is that what you're saying? No, the word pupa. You can use that to describe a butterfly chrysalis or a moth cocoon. I always wondered in what sequence that was in. Isn't there a sequence of like egg to something to something mm-hmm. to chrysalis? Yeah, so first it starts off as an egg, then a caterpillar. Once a caterpillar is done, it forms into a chrysalis if it's a butterfly or a cocoon if it's a moth. And then it turns oh. into the adult form. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, you know, it's the sequence that always throws me because I, I know that there's a... I have actually called something a pupa and it was not, and I was corrected. So I just want to make sure. Mm, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Tanya, do you have something to say? Hey, yeah. We can't see no, each definitely. other. So. Thanks, for, um, thanks for coming into the studio. I'm really excited because, I don't know, I, I towards the end of my... Tampa gardening journey, I definitely got into more butterflies and learned appreciation. So I wanted to know what got you into gardening specifically for butterflies? That is a very long story, but I could try to sum it up for you. Basically, as a kid, I always loved butterflies. And, you know, COVID-19 happened. I was basically walking my dog. I saw um, zebra long wings. And I already had prior knowledge that, you know, butterflies need host plants because back in elementary school, I learned milkweed is a host plant for monarch butterflies. And so because of my curiosity of trying to figure out how in the world am I going to attract this beautiful zebra pattern butterfly into my yard, I went down a rabbit hole and was like, well, since I learned about this one, I'm going to try to attract all these different butterflies into my yard. And so that is what sparked me into gardening. So that way I could attract all these beautiful insects into my garden. And so when we talk on the radio, a lot of the times the people who listen, sometimes they know about the topic and sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when you say the word like butterfly garden and host plant, what are you talking about? Um, So when I say butterfly garden and host plant, we'll talk about butterfly garden first. Basically, you're creating this area and space that builds habitat for these butterflies. You're adding plants that are going to attract them. The two main plants are host plants and nectar plants. Host plants are what the butterflies are going to lay their eggs on. They're going to turn into caterpillars, and that's going to allow butterflies to continuously cycle into your garden. Whereas a nectar plant is what's going to feed the adult butterfly. There's basically um, nectar inside the flower. The butterfly is going to use its proboscis to go into the flower and drink that nectar. And that's not necessarily uh, what the host plant will be feeding the butterfly. Um, It could be partially, but it's not necessarily the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what other other, uh, plants would be appropriate to plant for nectar? Uh, well, if you can tell us a little bit about the nectar and the host plant separation, that would be helpful. Um, well, I definitely would recommend, you know, adding native plants specifically for butterflies. Um, some flowers are very, they're not really good for butterflies because they don't have a lot of nectar in them. So I would recommend uh, t- Three of my favorite native plants for butterflies, um, one of them being tropical sage. That one is a very tubular flower. It reseeds very easy, and that's going to attract like swallowtails, 
hummingbirds, basically anything with like a long proboscis or beak to um, go ahead and get that. Uh, my second one would be um, the native porterweed. That one is a very good native nectar plant. And then my last one would be tick seed, um, Coreopsis lanceolata, that one specifically, because a lot of people don't have a moist region and that one can do drier, full sun conditions. Yeah, that's a beauty too. Really mm -hmm. showy, that big, bright yellow flower. Well, that one's a little bit on the smaller side, but uh, for a bigger one... Well, um, big star... for a butterfly. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think in comparison to the tropical sage and the porterweed, which have which are little but yes. like so lovely, mm -hmm. the coreopsis. I mean, I've seen them probably like a half an inch to an inch, but yeah, they are. They have that great pop of color, and those mm -hmm. three flowers you just described, they go so well together, and they yeah. really show off. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to remind our listeners that you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF 88.5 Tampa. Um, if you want to participate in the show, you want to ask some questions, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org. Go so, ahead, Annie. Thank you, Tanya. <laughs> We're trying this out from a distance. It's kind of, it's interesting. So um, so I wanted to talk a little bit more. Uh, I wanted to elaborate more on the on the flowering plants. The, you know, because I, actually my, the coreop, the tick seed that I have, I get them to be about two inches wide, but that may just be my good compost. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. Well, when you say big flower and like yellow, I'm thinking like starry rosamweed. I don't know if you've seen that flower, but that one's much bigger. And it, it has a very similar kind of look to it, appearance. Mm -hmm. So that one's a really big showy plant. And other ones? Oh, more nectar plants? Oh, yeah. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> People are going to want to know the names um, of these things. Many that's flower they, they beer like tongue. Lists. That one's a great one. It's a very white spring bloomer. It's tubular as well. Uh -huh. That one's going to give you more swallowtails. Uh, I could keep going. Beach verbena. That one's beautiful. That's a beautiful plant. It's purple. Yeah. It's like a ground cover. And then do you want to talk more about host plants or still with the well, nectar we, plants? Well, both. That was the that was an add-on, too, uh, because I definitely want to know what the host plants. But, you know, why I say that is because I think so many people get stuck in putting only host plants in, mm -hmm. and then they panic when they're decimated because they're doing their job, which is what is feeding the caterpillars, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I wanted to make sure that we give them the other things too so we don't just give host plants. But yeah, mm -hmm. talk about some host plants too. Um, passion vine is a great host plant. That one hosts three different butterflies in Florida, the zebra longwing, the julia, and the gulf fritillary butterflies. That one's a really great plant. And it, what's the name of that again? Um, you can just do passion vine. Like you could do the uh, maypot passion vine or the corky stem passion vine. Both are great wants to add to your and garden. And I've had the corky stem just pop up in my yard all over the place, and I know mm -hmm. what they look like. Mm -hmm. So then I coax it along. You know, I think a lot of people, one of the things about natives and things like that is they see something and it's a weed because mm -hmm. it is in a way, you know, but then they pull it up because they are used to having such a monoculture that they mm -hmm. don't know to start looking for little things to start up. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple of calls. So let's go ahead and get these guys on the air. This is Murphy from Dunedin. You're live. Hello. You want to turn your radio down a little bit? Uh, I will. I will actually walk outside. Okay. Great. Uh, 
There you go, Murphy. We, I could hear my voice talking. Oh, yeah. I can still hear it. Almost <laughs> <laughs> outside. Okay. So what, what's your question, Murphy? Well, I have little, little yellow flowers and little purple flowers that I don't cut down because the bees eat them. But you don't know what the names of the plants are. Uh, well, they're purple-blue. I have no idea that I've got plants. But my neighbor has a butterfly garden, and I have a bee garden. Okay. The native bees, not the honeybees. The Great. Honeybees yeah. <laughs> We're on board for native everything. <laughs> well, I'm Native American, too. So I oh, good for you. I'm yeah. social Native American. Yeah. But uh, I just I love your show. And, uh, oh, thank you. I have cactus. The only thing I can't kill is cactus. <laughs> and, you know, I have the, the non-spiny uh, type, uh, and they are edible. Uh, well, it's, spiny types are too, but the ones that have no spines, um, uh, you can just slice those up and saute them. They taste like green beans or oh, a yeah. bell pepper. They're delicious. I have those right yeah. here. Just yeah. Just looking at them. Yeah. They never gave them to me. Yeah, they that's great. They me all their cactus and plants. They think I have some sort of ability to grow things. <laughs> well, you've got the cactus thing down, Murphy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're glad that you're planting things. And, you know, what? one thing you could do is take a, a picture of the flowering plants that you have and then take a, you know, see if you can't find out what their true name is. And that's oh, going to yeah. help you out a lot. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of invasive species that, that go yeah, along that color. Yeah, you could definitely use um, iNaturalist. It's a great identification app. Yeah, and some I of them aren't okay. so much, but that one is a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have one. I have one non-native. Uh, I have an Australian pine. Yeah, birds like that. So yeah, <laughs> everything get, else is native. Well, good for you. Good for you. I'm glad you yeah. called. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, no, I just I just love your show. Love your station. I I keep my radio locked on eighty eight point five on the extreme left side of your radio dial. Man, we should have you on for an ad. When I get organized better i'm going to come over there and start working over at wmnf oh that'd be great we have our uh, fundraisers coming up and we we love volunteers and donations and all kinds of things so well, don't i do want to also friend. say to murphy that um they always need help weeding there's a whole garden team that needs help uh weeding the front of wmnf too so if you are interested in helping Contact gardening me. Yeah. They could use your help yeah contact me and then you can get on get with us when we go out there and weed that'd be okay. awesome well, as soon as I get my pack rack loaded up and get it out of my driveway, because code's on my case about that. They're okay. Like, All right. I'm doing well, you, with code. I win. <laughs> you have a great day today, Murphy. Thanks you for too. calling in. I love your station. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We have another call. I'm going to go ahead and take that. Uh, they've been on the hold for a while. Jan, you're on the air. Hi there. Hi um, there. I just wanted to, I've been a, I'm a third generation Floridian, so I'm <laughs> Very good. Anyway, um, I would like to say that Biden's Pelosa is just about good for any kind of wildlife that you like. Um, That's the little daisy-like flower that most people pull up. Biden's Alba? Yeah. The one that uh, is commonly around everywhere. Biden's Alba. I guess they changed the name to Biden's Alba. It used to be Biden's Pelosa. but anyway, that just attracts about anything. And if code enforcement is getting on you about weeds in your yard, if you kind of 
plant them all in one area and deadhead them fairly often, they will stay blooming in a little patch. for. Yes, that's what I do with my Bidens. I have them in different sections of the yard. And uh, because it's designed, it doesn't look offensive. Um, And also, I don't know if you knew this, but they're edible. I put those flowers uh, on my salad tops when I uh, have my salads and the, the young tips are also edible. Well, you're talking about the Bidens that grows in the ground. Yes, right? ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, that's the only Bidens that I know of. Yes. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I tried eating Bidens once years ago when I read that they were edible, and it was like I didn't cook them properly. Well, it it's very, just the tips. Very bitter green. Yeah, just the tips. Yeah, the fresh growth. The fresh growth. Okay. It's real tender. Right. Well, and I'll I don't cook them. The, I just the put them raw. The other thing I wanted to say was... Um, one native host plant for zebra longwing is this little native um, passion flower that we have. It's, it looks like people pull it out because it grows up. It makes a vine. Corky yeah, stem. the corky stem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Teeny little green flower that's almost invisible. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the leaves are ivy-like, but they're spaced way, you know, along a long vine. Mm-hmm. So it's a great I plant for birds that too that we forgot about yes, the berries the berries mm-hmm. right. yeah, the- and yeah and uh i mean it's not particularly intrusive where it's not going to kill your your shrubs or anything so i just let it grow and mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a very good host plant for zebra long wings and i have lots of butterflies oh so good so just wanted to mention that to people because I know I've had neighbors that go to pull out that little native. Well, not much anymore because everything around me has been re-landscaped. Yeah. Except for my yard where people have been gardening since the 1920s. Right. Yes, exactly. My house is built in 1924, so it's definitely got some <laughs> right. old stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a good deal. Yeah, and my grandmother had a nursery here. So. Oh, how lovely. I- I have a few non-native plants, but they're kind of confined to an area. I just like them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. I just wanted to mention that that little native maypop or whatever they call it is really valuable for butterflies. Passiflora. Um, Subarosa. Subarosa. Right, right. Don't pull it out. That's right. <laughs> 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 Thanks for calling, Jan. Bye-bye. That was sweet. <laughs> So, so Tanya, do you have uh, some questions you'd like to go on with? Yeah, absolutely. And All I just right. want to remind your listeners, uh, and I want to say thank you for the callers. And yes. if anybody wants to call in, uh, you're listening to Sustainable Living here on WMNF 80.5 Tampa. We are talking today to local butterfly enthusiast Jordan Parker about planting specifically for butterflies. So if you have any questions, give us a call at 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three, or email us at dj at wmnf, and we will read your question out aloud. Um, so Jordan, you mentioned that you want people to change how they engage with wildlife. What exactly do you mean by that? I want people to start connecting with wildlife. You know, harboring that connect that connection with nature is what's going to truly let you appreciate and value all the things that nature has provided for us. Because without nature, we wouldn't even be here. So um, I definitely want people to, you know, start going outside, start hiking, start camping, start maybe just going on walks and just enjoying everything that's around you. Because a lot of the times we get caught up in our day-to-day, we don't get the chance to just stop and look at the wildflowers. Mm-hmm. 
And so do you think that planting a butterfly garden, however small it may be, is a good introduction to change the way people view wildlife? Yes, for sure. I mean, for me, it was one of the outlets that got me into it. Um, but, you know, whatever whatever size uh, butterfly garden you have will certainly make a huge difference. Like you could just have a pot with like four plants in it and you will start to see the life that it brings to your area. Oh, you know, and I, I do want to talk to you because right before I, I kind of moved, I started butterfly, I'd get the giant milkweed. Right. And at one point I had like 150 caterpillars on it and Hurricane Irma came and we left and I ended up in my car with like dogs, cats, <laughs> kids, chickens, like everything and 150 caterpillars because oh I God. couldn't think of leaving them. And so, it, and then sometimes I'd save them from if it was windy out and then the wasps would break in and the wasps would eat them. Do you ever find yourself like going outside and like saving them from wasps or windy days or are you like nature will be nature? I am definitely more so on let nature be nature yeah. because at the end of the day, caterpillars are one of the biggest parts of the food web. Thank they you generate the highest percentage of protein from plant material that they're eating. So when you allow those caterpillars to get eaten, you're actually helping all the other animals that rely on those caterpillars. I'm so glad you said that. That I was naming mine and chasing wasps away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like having the wasps at my house mm -hmm. because they manage, you know, the caterpillars uh, in the <laughs> sense that they are not going to eat my plants that I want to eat. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but then again, I want to have some uh, caterpillars around, of course, because I love butterflies. But there's a line there. And you bring up a good thing I want to talk about as well is that there's a lot of plants that are edible that butterflies will use as host plants. And I've been on Facebook and I see people looking at these caterpillars and just oh, tossing yes. them away. And I'm it's like, so sad. I'm like I know. you have a peach tree. That is a tiger swallowtail. You right. don't understand how many people would love to have that in their garden. And they just yeah. And parsley and uh, dill and those sorts um, of things. People. Butterfly pea, it's a, a host plant for the long tail skipper, Durante skipper, you know, your orange trees are good for the giant swallowtail yes, yes. Um, if you have a soursop you can attract the zebra swallowtail to your garden so there's definitely a lot of things that people just they don't have that connection with nature and so when they see these things they just destroy it and they, they do. don't they yeah. don't allow it to just take its course they respond to that plant because that's what's been their baby. Mm -hmm. And so they're into the perfection look of the plant material, which is not necessary for the plant. It's just what we perceive is what needs to be done. So we overreact and do something about that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, the little, uh, the, the, the caterpillars have been on the citrus trees and people, you know, it looks just like a bit of uh, bird poop to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then if you poke them, they stick out this, this uh, little red tongue looking thing that uh, mm -hmm. scary, supposed to scare you. And I can't tell you how many people have pulled those off. And for me, in my case, I had a tangerine tree, which produced beautifully in a pot. And I, um, you know, did a lot of things, I had mushrooms growing below it. I had uh, oak leaves on it and so on like that. But the birds ate them. What ones that I got is a butterfly, Yahoo. But most of them, it was feeding wildlife, just like you said. Mm-hmm.
Oh, can I ask y'all something? Please. So it's it's embarrassing, but like <laughs> nobody so can you see your face right now, so it's okay. <laughs> I know. So when you mentioned the the giant swallowtail and that little red thing that pops out, yes. that looks like a tongue. I would pat them on their back so they would do that because uh, that little thing that they stick out smells it so does. good. Oh, it smells good to you? Oh, that's Oh, funny. my gosh. It smells so good. So I would do it and be like, you smell delicious. <laughs> no, <laughs> so when do the birds eat them? <laughs> do you all do that too or no? No. Is it just me? I don't do it. I don't think it smells too good. <laughs> Most people don't, I don't think. Yeah. You have a you have all a right, different sense of smell. Just I think, kidding. Todd. <laughs> That's not me. That wasn't me. Oh, you I just made that up. I wonder why that you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show here <laughs> on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today we are talking to local butterfly enthusiast Jordan Parker about planting specifically for butterflies. If you have any questions, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org. <laughs> you're so good at that. Thank you for doing it. <laughs> so we did have this written down. And so I'm, I want to go ahead and just throw it out there uh, because I think that a lot of people put in invasive uh, or uh, non-native non uh, milkweed and uh, milkweed plant, excuse me. Uh, and so how do you feel about planting a butterfly-friendly plant that's also invasive? And because I know when people do plant butterfly gardens, they just look at what they're seeing on the ads, butterfly plant. And in those big box stores, those are the ones that they have setting out for butterflies. And people think, oh, Lantana, well, they don't realize there's only a couple of natives. I think three natives, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of them are terrible because they're they're uh, crossbreeding with the natives, which changing their whole line. So how do you feel about putting uh, invasive uh, plants in with the butterfly garden? What do you think about that? I say don't add invasive plants to your <laughs> garden. <laughs> um, but And if you have them. If you have them, get rid of them and replace them with stuff that is valuable and is native because native plants can never become invasive. So you know you're doing a positive impact and you're not doing something that could harm wildlife. Yeah. Um, I mean, this kind of makes me think about, you know, a lot of people are adding tropical milkweed into their yards. So many. And it's just a plant you do not want to add. There's many different negative side effects other than OE. Um, one of them being is that the tropical milkweed, uh, once presented to a female monarch, they will start to begin developing eggs before they're supposed to. Oh, so which it stimulates will, them. Yes, and that will actually make their lifespan drop. Um, there's oh. a lot of different things as well. Um, the other one is that if the monarch butterflies are using tropical milkweed, um, the migratory monarchs are negatively affected because it will change the structure of their wings. So they're not going to be able to migrate as far. And another, that actually makes their wings smaller? Yes, yes. That's so, interesting. I've yeah. never heard that before. Well, a lot of these studies are... Um, one of the people that I listen to is um, Andy Davis. He has a group on Facebook called The Thoughtful Monarch. And he's always advocating and showcasing a lot of things on a lot of the bad things that are associated with tropical milkweed and raising butterflies and why we should just add native plants and let nature take its course. Exactly. And then there were some more things you wanted to say? Um. Yes. So I already touched on the wings. I already touched on um, how they develop eggs. Also, 
Another thing that they do is um, basically there's an association of OE like we discussed. And because of um, tropical milkweed, the chemical composition of that plant will allow highly infected monarch butterflies to continue to live and to continue to spread that pathogen. Oh, that's an so, interesting thing because it's an intelligent pathogen. So it's yes. working with it. Well, the thing is, is that... Um, because it's working with it and stuff like that, um, basically, these butterflies are highly infected. And when they're highly infected, they're going to start favoring the tropical milkweed. Oh, my god! So it's important to not have tropical milkweed because if you continue to have it, they're going to continually stay alive and continuously having that cycle of putting that pathogen on that plant, using that plant and spreading it to other butterflies. That is so interesting. It's almost like when the uh, the caterpillars get stung by the uh, the wasp and the eggs develop, and then they become a, a protector of the emerging wasp because mm-hmm. they're they've been brain messed up. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to say the other word, but that's not going to work here. <laughs> but yeah, but that's why I always advocate to plant native milkweed because yes. the the butterflies that are not highly inf- infected are going to be laying on the native milkweed. And if they do become highly infected, they're not going to live as long. And that's going to prevent highly infected monarchs to continuously spread that pathogen. So it'll just slow down the spread, eventually stopping the spread yeah, if, if we, we can manage If it we can way. remove all the tropical milkweed in Florida and add native, we could. Yeah. I know that they pop up in my yard randomly just from other people's yards. There, it's It's been about um, the cycle for them to look and see if it's invasive or not. So they're still determining, IFIS is still determining if that plant's invasive or not. And I've seen it in wildlife areas. Oh, all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm surprised and it's that not. Bring, Go ahead. That brings up um, actually a pointed text message that we just got from Donna, who says, Hello, my neighbor put in a native plant garden. And her backyard is lovely with bees and butterflies and other creatures. Mm-hmm. However, her next-door neighbor recently planted some exotic milkweeds, not the native kind. And they are full of monarch caterpillars. Of course they are. It is discouraging because the native milkweed in my friend's native plant yard has a caterpillar or two, but nothing like those in the non-native neighbor's yes. yard. Yes. I think the common name is tropical milkweed, and it is discouraged because of the messes with migration systems and the butterfly results and increased disease. I wonder if you could comment on the use of these exotic pollinator plants that we encourage people to plant native Florida plants, but when something like this happens, people are less likely to go the native route because they want to see all the butterflies. So if you could, um, JP, if you could answer and kind of address that. And then also you mentioned OE, if you could answer hers and then kind of address OE at the same time and explain what that is too, that would be awesome. Yes. Great job. Go ahead. Could you repeat the first question? Yeah, absolutely. So she says how when people plant um, like the native, um, the native, they see maybe a caterpillar or two. And then the non-native, like you said, is attracting all the caterpillars and they see 20 and they want to see all these butterflies. So they plant that not native version to get the big hurrah. And so how do you discourage that? And then, so I guess that was the first part. Yeah. So I discourage it because only about like 2% out of the like 200 eggs that they lay are really supposed to make it to adulthood. And which goes back to me saying caterpillars are a part of the food web. So you don't, 
Having a successful butterfly garden is by giving them the habitat that they truly need to survive and sustain themselves. By having all these caterpillars in your yard is not natural. And usually in the wild, there would be predators that are coming and are making sure that there's not that big influx. So it's greatly appreciated to just plant the plants. I know it can be sad that you're watching, you know, these caterpillars not make it and you want to see these beautiful butterflies. But the best thing you can do is to just plant the native milkweed. Because another thing that didn't say is that OE, about 90% of our monarchs in Florida are infected by OE. I even read 100%. I mean, if you go further south, it can be 100. But because of a lot of people that are rearing all these monarchs. That's why and adding this tropical milkweed and continuously and continuing this cycle we're going to continuously see all these infected butterflies all over the place. Yeah, and people don't understand when they see those deformed wings what that is. They think it's something else, but that's what it is, y'all. I mean, that yeah. could be it, but there's also other pathogens that they deal with as well as genetics as well, mm. but a lot of the time they have a high percentage of OE. Yeah. And we have another text that says from Bob, is there a website that you like that can help identify native butterfly plants? There's a lot of different um He has a he has a site too, don't you? Yeah, I have a site and it will take you directly to a lot of the resources that I've used on my journey to help me learn. Um, the Florida Wildflower Foundation, Florida Native Plant Society is a great one. They'll even tell you what conditions the plants live in. So if you want to introduce it into your garden, you have a better chance of establishing those plants into your yard. Right. So if you have a wet area, dry area, sunny mm-hmm. area, shade area. So what is your site? My site is www.jpcharisma.com, spelled C-H-A-R-I-S-M-A. Okay, so then you'll have all those links on yours. Yes. That's wonderful. mm -hmm. Hey, uh, Tanya, we have a couple of uh, phone calls. Do you have uh, uh, something more you want to say? Yeah, no, get the phone calls, and then I get some texts to do this. Absolutely. Sounds great. Okay, so we have Richard uh, on the air. Richard? Hi, guys. Great show, as always. Thank you. You mentioned it earlier about, you know, you see uh, big box stores selling plants, of course, all the time as Florida friendly. Right. Say what that is. I know a lot of the stuff they have is really not so friendly and we really. (laughs) So Florida friendly for me is a plant that's not invasive it's able to sustain itself on the conditions that Florida has to offer, and you're not having to put in a bunch of inputs to get this plant to thrive. Yes, that's it exactly. Okay. Yeah. But it's yeah, not I, necessarily native. No, it's not native. It's just a plant that, you know, you can add it to your garden. It's not going to escape your garden, go into wildlife, negatively affect it, you know, encroach everything. Good, good to know. Yeah, I always try to go to my... The two native nurseries we have around the area all, yes. all the time to buy my plants. So uh, uh, that's, I highly recommend that for everybody. Yes. Uh, and yes. you live in Tampa? Yes, I do near uh, near the zoo area, Lower Park Zoo. Oh, very good. And you go to which places? Oh, well, Hillsboro really is kind of a, at least around my house, kind of a void. I have to go to Pinellas. Um, 
to Twigs and Leaves in St. Pete. Oh, okay. And then the one off Olmerton Road. I can't think of the name of it. It's been there forever. And then also uh, they have the Red Wagon uh, Nursery. Oh, yes. It's in Tampa. Tampa. And I also um, offer plants on my website as well. Yeah, he sells plants as well. So you can go to the Wibbs website and figure that out. I'm sure there's there's different places like that. I know that mm-hmm. uh, that Craig, who runs the uh, the, the uh, botanical gardens over uh, at USF, he's also here on the radio. He uh, goes all over uh, and picks up things. But they, I think they even well, sell stuff in USF in the yeah, nursery. Yeah, he, he's actually he works there, so he has a selection of plants that he has there constantly. Yes, and he also does his own um, like spring sell as well. He really does. It's mm-hmm. the best he sell grows ever. Everything oh himself gosh, from it's seed. So good. It's crazy. It really so, is crazy. That is good. I yeah. can't wait. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for calling, thanks, Richard. Thanks so much, guys, you have a good show. Thank Bye. you. You too. Bye bye. Okay, and now we also have another person, and that would be Michael from St. Pete. You're on the air. Michael, are you there? Yes, this, this is Michael. I'm oh. twigs and leaves. Anyway, I'm calling. Oh, very good. He was just he was just telling us about you. Yeah, well, I'm just calling again to tell you more about the milkweed. The native ones are, are seasonal, so they die back, and that's why the the, the exotic milkweed plant industry has gotten crazy because people don't have access to natives. Right. They want they want it all year round, don't they? And the reason they die back, they keep the migration going. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with the exotic milkweed species. They can propagate them quickly and people and they look like milkweed too. So, I will say this. There are um, native evergreen milkweeds like the aquatic milkweed, Asclepius yeah, perennis. That one's evergreen. Yeah. And there's yeah, also um, the white twine vine Vinastrum clausum, those are two oh. native evergreen milkweeds. But like you said, there's a season for it. And those plants do not grow as fast as the tropical yeah. milkweeds do. So it prevents a large amount of butterflies to continuously finish their metamorphosis process. Too in, much excess. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it prevents right. them from, you know, spreading pathogens right. and stuff like that. Yeah. Anything else, Michael? The Biden, too. Um, it's a pioneer species. That's why it's so aggressive and in like everyone's yard. It's supposed to be there. And it's one of the only nectar sources in the winter time that, that, that's flowering. So it's a really important plant to have. I think it's really pretty. It's too. our top third nectar source in Florida. It's yeah. the best, yeah. yeah. People yeah. don't like it because the seeds stick to their pant leg or their socks. Yeah. <laughs> really, that's a big it's wine. Well distributed. It's a really successful plant. Yeah. As plants go. Anything else you want to talk about, Michael? No, I just wanted to input that. And then the Subarosa is the host plant for the frutillary butterfly. I don't know about the... Uh, oh, it hosts all three of our native butterflies, the frutillary, the Julia, and the zebra longwing. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Well, thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. Yeah. No problem. Have a great day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Tanya, you got something going? Yeah, um, Tom Palmer from Winter Haven said the problem is that the native milkweed species in Florida that are commercially available do not grow easily in most home landscapes because they are either wetlands or scrub species. Do you want to comment on that? Yes. So I would say I have encountered this myself and... Honestly, you could just buy an earth box and you could put those wetland species in that That's earth box. That's a great idea to keep and, it wet. Yeah, because that earth box will keep water in it for a couple of days and you don't idea. have to water it that often. 
Also, the rain gardens, like pond gardens, mm-hmm. where yeah. like I remember John Starnes would bury uh, like a clay pot or like bury some clay in like the shape of a bowl and create like a natural wetland habitat in his yard. And you could actually so bury uh, a, a pond liner. You could even do. Mm-hmm. You could. I don't know about burying plastic, but I like the idea well, of bought, uh, like um, burying like something clay. Yeah. And then we have another one, another email from Carlene who says where do you find native milkweed plants and do they look different from from the I think she meant to say non-native and if so how do they look different this is where botany comes along yeah um and also depending on the time of the year that you're purchasing these plants so if you're trying to buy native milkweed in the fall slash winter months it's going to be dormant and look like sticks um you they're going to be perfectly healthy plants in the pots. And so when you plant them at that time of the year, they're getting a lot of a chance to establish themselves and pop back up in the spring. Um, I will say that the tropical milkweed does look a little bit like the pink swamp milkweed. But for me, when I differentiate the two, I notice with the uh, tropical milkweed, there's a lot more veinage and the midrib is a little bit more prominent and looks a little bit lighter compared to the pink swamp milkweed. Um, But the best way to identify them is when they're both flowering. The pink swamp milkweed is gonna be pink. The tropical milkweed could be either the silky gold color or it could also be um, the orange and red color. Um, Another milkweed that also gets um, confused is the native butterfly milkweed, the butterfly weed. Um, that one is Asclepias tuberosa. It's orange. It is a great native milkweed that you could add to your garden. It's definitely not going to want a bunch of irrigation. I do know a lot of gardeners have had struggles with that milkweed. And I've been talking with Craig Hugel. And what he always recommends is to dig um, at least, you know, a couple feet down, maybe three to four feet. Put in builder sand oh, because yeah. Asclepias tuberosa loves well-draining soil. And a lot of the soil that's in our yards is like graded stuff that they brought in when they were developing. So if you could add builder sand to that ground before you plant the plant, it's going to allow that plant a chance to really establish itself well. And it's not going to get wilted because it doesn't have well-draining soil. That's a really good suggestion. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that he has done a lot of that over there at the Botanical Gardens. Mm-hmm. And you can walk around uh, the places where he's established these different types of gardens that would be for specifics for those well-drained Yeah, areas, he has a scrub areas. area. He has like a wetland area. Yes. So you could like see these plants in a botanical setting, yes. which really showcases the beauty of our Florida native plants. Yeah, that's a great way to go. Tanya? I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF 88.5 FM Tampa. Um, today we're talking to local butterfly enthusiast Jordan Parker about planting specifically for butterflies in the ecosystem. If you have any questions, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or email us and we will read your question or your comment on air at dj at wmnf.org. Um, one of the things I really, really, really want to talk about is like what are the keystone species and why are they important? Because that's that's our native situation, mm-hmm. but these are like the the big mamma jammas that, that hold the load. Mm-hmm. So what are those keystone uh, species? You know, like your oaks, um, like Quercus, Prunus, Salix, so oak, 
uh, cherry, and willow. Those are foundational species. Also, cypress. Basically, those are what are going to build the foundation for an ecosystem. Without those plants, that those ecosystems would not exist, and they wouldn't have a lot of the other plants that are basically with those other species. So like your understory plants that go along with the keystone species. Yeah, because when people plant, they see these sterile lawns, you know, they'll have like one tree, grass and that sort of thing. But that's not exactly the way that trees and plants like to work together. Mm-hmm. It's what you're talking about. Companion up- plants, exactly. basically. Upper story, lower story, like there's a three different levels of different plant materials. Yes, and a lot of people, they're not, like you're saying, they're not building these levels in their gardens. And when you build the different levels, that's when you start creating biodiversity. And biodiversity is very important for wildlife because when you add biodiversity, you're adding resources for different parts of the season and you're going to constantly have things utilizing those plants throughout the year. And not just uh, butterflies, not just butterflies we're talking about. We're talking about all species of wildlife. I mean, even if you just plant for butterflies, you're going to see other animals come in and use those plants as well. So that's it's a good introduction to get people, you know, sucked in. Oh, my God, butterflies. Right. Then they start seeing bees. Then they start seeing wasps. <laughs> then they start seeing birds. You know, you planted your corky stem for zebra longwings. Now you see mockingbirds and blue jays. And eating the seeds. Exactly. Eating the fruits and berries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I even see them eat the seeds on my uh, tropical sage. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of those because uh, I have so many that, you know, there's plenty for everybody kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. So... Oh, we have a caller as well. So I guess I should go ahead and get that. Um, James, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, James. Welcome yeah, to the show. I, I, I'm loving your show. I'm just not, uh, nobody's mentioned porter weeds yet. And I have butterflies year round because of I actually weed. mentioned that he earlier. <laughs> he mentioned <laughs> the native porter weed. Yeah, the native yeah. porter weed. I must have been in a building somewhere and didn't hear you uh-huh. mentioning that. But we didn't elaborate. Go ahead. You can eat the flowers, too. They taste like mushrooms. They are delicious, aren't mm-hmm. they? <laughs> yeah. Now, most anyway, people... Yeah, like I, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, most people are seeing the non-native, and those are yeah. fairly invasive uh, species, actually. Yes, they're a Category 2 well, invasive species. Some of, the, some of the city down here has been planting some in Punta Gorda between the... In the roadways, but yeah, the blue ones are native. The other ones are all variegated species. Well, actually, the uh, the native ones are blue as well, but they're a, they're a low growing ground cover ish looking thing. Yeah, those are the those are mostly the ones I have. I also had the purple ones and the pink ones that get really big. But yeah, the little low growing blue ones are the best ones. Mm-hmm. I have had butterflies at Christmas time every year for twenty years because of those plants. Yeah, they they bloom year round. That's that's one of the main reasons I recommended that one in the tropical sage because you'll see the butterflies like our gulf fritillaries year round, our sulfur butterflies year round, and our common buckeyes. But those are the ones that are supposed to be here year round. That's mm-hmm. what's so important. If yeah. we're doing all those tropical milkweeds, we're keeping the monarchs, which are not supposed to be here in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, there's an argument well, about that. There's a local well, the milkweeds that we have here. Uh, the caterpillars eat all the leaves off. Well, yeah, that's their host yeah. plant. Go cocoon up. Yeah, it's their host plant. Chrysalis, chrysalis. What are we going to do? Just wait three months. It'll come back. No big deal. That's right. Exactly. That's right. It's People like panic. The, it's like the passion flowers. Oh, they're all gone. Hey, next year you're going to have more than you know what to do with. That's exactly, exactly. right. So, Let nature anyway, that's go. all I had to say. Y'all have a great day. Well, i got to get back to work. Thank you very much for calling, James. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, 
No problem. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, Tanya, you want to have anything over there? On your let end? me see. So we have another text. Um, and let me see who it is from. It's from Bernard, and he's asking, how do you get rid of stinging nettle? It showed up three oh. years ago, tried to pull it, tried to salt it, tried to burn it. Oof. Nothing happened. Um, so I, I know I know stinging nettle is really good if you identify it properly, like it's good medicinal. It's you can very make tea good medicinal. And you, yeah. And you can kind of steam it and cook it and eat it. Um, I know this isn't necessarily butter. Is stinging nettle a butterfly plant at all? Yes, it is a host plant to the question mark and the red admiral butterfly. Which, question mark. What a great mm, name. Oh, uh, yeah. The question mark is. It looks so beautiful once his wings open up. Yeah. It looks like a leaf at first yeah. when they're closed, but then when it opens it up, you get that question mark oh, symbol. Wow. And it's yes, like this red and mar- like maroon. So basically, it's not a bad thing to have some. It's just maybe too many. And It's one- actually invasive in, in it, the United States. Is it? Mm-hmm. So, so there so you go. So eat it? I would spray so with herbicide. I would, ah, we don't believe in I, that. <laughs> I, no. I, it's, there's some plants you just cannot get rid of physically, unfortunately. Well, I had them grow in a plant and I learned the hard way how sticky they are in your hand. And I have one tip on that. Mm-hmm. You pour white glue on it. You don't rub it. You don't touch it. You don't do anything. You pour white glue on it, let it dry and peel it off and it pulls out the, the stinging parts. Oh. So most people but don't know about as that. Far as- as far as killing the plant, I think you just have to dig it up. But the problem is, is Probably. that it, it, I think it reseeds. Yeah, you so have to get I it before say, it seeds, right? It's not just the seeds. The nettles typically sucker as well. So if um, you don't get all those suckers out, it's going to pop back up as well. Yeah. All right, so rent a goat. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea. <laughs> Make sure it's just uh, an area that has it full of them because they're going to eat everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we are almost out of time. We so, are. Annie, is there any more questions that we want to hit on uh, before we end up leaving? Well, I think that, let's see. Let's see. We have a oh, couple. You know what? what? I want to hear about you're doing an upcoming plant walk. Oh, yes, right? definitely. Can you tell us about the plant walk? Yes. So I will be doing a walk at Payne's Prairie in McCanopy, Florida, and we will be basically be going right into the center of the prairie. We'll be looking at wildflowers. We might encounter bison or wild horses. Bison? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And I will also be doing this with... Um, another guide as well, and he will be helping on the botany side of it. He's a known botanist. He's Cuban. And um, basically, we're just going to go out there. We're going to have everyone connect to nature and have a good time. Oh, that sounds lovely. How do they find out about it? You can go on my website and click the events tab, and you'll be able to click the link and register. Go ahead and give us that website name again. www.jpcharisma.com. You spell it C-H-A-R-I-S-M-A for charisma. And is there any phone number, or is that the best way to do it? Um, I mean, if you need to contact me, you can always reach out via email, okay. jpcharisma at gmail.com. Okay. Very good. And is is there anything else that you want to give people like for uh, like a tip on how to get into butterfly gardening, the best time to plant? The best way, up? right? Um, personally speaking, I think the best time to plant is in the fall. The fall is when we also get migratory butterflies that you're not going to see any other portion of the year. 
And when you plant in the fall, that gives the plants a time to really establish themselves before, you know, the frost happens, especially when you're adding those herbaceous wildflowers. Because I know that the woodier like trees and shrubs and stuff I've heard are great to plant in the wintertime. But if you plant them in the fall, it's still going to be a lot cooler versus doing it in the spring. We live in Florida. We're in a subtropical region. And a lot of the people mistake us for being up north where they have to plant in the spring when the best time for us is during the cooler months. Yeah, everything grows a lot easier. Mm-hmm. It's our dry season in the so, spring. Uh, in the, so for in the spring, if they were going to do it, probably end of February, middle of March... Mm-hmm. I mean, you could plant year round in Florida, but, but, but the best time, but the best time definitely fall through winter. But I'm we at- have one more message saying, could you please um, do your email and your website? Uh, just say it out slowly again. Okay. So it's J P C H A R I S M A email at Gmail or my website, www dot j p c h a r i s m a dot com awesome thank you so much jp you've been a really knowledgeable guest to have so thank you so much and i just want to thank um irene for taking the calls and the wonderful mr bill grace for working (laughs) those boards we love if you enjoyed this show and the weekly content please go to wmnf.org and donate through the tip jar and directing your donation to the sustainable living show stay tuned in the next hour you will hear wmnf community speakers with mabel and make sure to tune in next Monday morning at 11 a.m. for the Sustainable Living Show. We will be talking to Edder uh, Castrotello about Tampa Compost and Green Waste Solutions. Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF, to stay in the loop and listen to our past shows by going online to listen on demand on WMNF.org. I'm Tanya Vitovic. And I am Annie Ellis. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye-bye. You're listening to WMNF, Tampa, Florida. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right.